Hey, it's Charlotte. Thank you so much for joining me. This week's show is a little bit special. It was a conversation I had for the DTNS crew as part of their experiment week recently, and I loved it so much I wanted to bring it to you all here at the edition. Uh, it's between myself and Chris Stoker-Walker, the author and journalist who writes about internet culture, uh, video startups and video platforms. He's written about TikTok, YouTube, written books on the subject. So we delve into all of that and what's going on. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I also hope you'll share the show. Uh, join me by subscribing to the edition.substack.com. It all makes a difference to keeping the show on the road. And I really appreciate all the support I've had these last few months. So without further ado, here is myself and Chris Stoker-Walker. Hello, hello. I'm Charlotte Henry, and I run a Substack and podcast called The Edition. That's A-double-D. And I'm very excited to be taking part in DTNS Experiment Week with this extra edition. And um, I'm very excited as well because I'm joined by a brilliant, brilliant guest, the author and journalist Chris Stockel-Walker, who, let's be honest, if you care about Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, any of the video and audio, you know, video platforms, any of the kind of internet culture wars that we currently see going on, here's the man you want to be reading. So, Chris, thank you for joining me. Let's get right into it, really. There's a lot going on in the space that you cover. Um, it's, you know, we've seen... Instagram trying to copy TikTok and YouTube trying to copy TikTok and Reels and it it's all quite a messy space. So explain first of all just very briefly where you see on a macro level the kind of lie of the land on these video, particularly vertical video platforms. What we've seen is you can almost divide it, I suppose, Charlotte, into kind of like a a BC and a CE idea, kind of like before common era and after common era, before TikTok and after. Yeah, I was going to say BTT and ATT. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have kind of the traditional form of social media and particularly video on social media, which was generally a box on a bigger screen, generally landscape video, generally quite long. And then suddenly, you know, and there's lots of things tied up with this, including the pandemic and so on and so forth, you saw TikTok overhauling that significantly and the rise of full screen immersive video. And surprise, surprise, when a company like TikTok manages to get a billion users in a little under five years and Instagram and YouTube. So let, let's just say that number again so listeners can reflect on quite how staggering that is. Yeah, so it's 1 billion users in less than five years. So that is huge. And to put it into context, you can look at basically any other competitor of the kind of pre-TikTok era, so YouTube or Instagram or even Facebook, and they got the same number of users in pretty much twice that level of time. So you, you start to see why they're sitting up and paying attention. And of course, when that happens... Every big tech company knows that they want to try and borrow the best bits from their competitors. So suddenly we have now every app looking like TikTok and every app presenting video just like TikTok. Uh, and this doesn't necessarily go down well with the audience, but we'll, we'll unpack that in a bit. But let, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I guess if we're defining things as before TikTok and after TikTok, let, let's do the TikTok story. We know it's from the Chinese parent company ByteDance. There was a Chinese version of the app, which was basically 
are all about dance, you know, dancing and music, and that's where it's come from. And TikTok has just grown and grown, as you illustrated with that stat. And it's now sort of whatever you want it to be, isn't it? As long as you want to see it on vertical video on your phone. People used to lambast TikTok, I suppose, as being this app only for teenagers, very much lip syncing or dancing or mm. whatever. Particularly in the early days, that was true. Um, now, however, it has changed. You know, they have a broader user base. And again, this ties in, I think, to the pandemic when we were all stuck at home, all pretty bored. I've actually just written a story for Input Magazine about cruise ship TikTokers, which mm-hmm. is a, an amazing thing that I never thought I'd hear about. But you know, they were kind of the microcosm of this huge shift that we all saw, which is... In the early days of the pandemic, the cruise industry shut down. All of these employees went home and they got bored or they had to quarantine before they started up again in cruises and they were stuck in hotels and they said, well, you know what, I'll open up TikTok. And so suddenly you see this explosion, I suppose, of users away from that core teenage demographic towards a much broader one. And I've interviewed 80-something-year-olds as part of my stories around TikTok. So it is really an app for everybody now yeah and that that is clearly part of the strategy that bite dance tiktok itself have deployed that they wanted to very consciously move away from this thing as being a rather ephemeral app for teenagers uh, and uh, an app for everyone where you can find your people on it i mean at the moment uh, the day we were recording this is just a couple of days after the England women's team uh, won the Euros. And my entire For You page is just various variations on, on that team and things involving that team. And I'm frankly here for it. But, um, you know, someone, some of the listeners in America will be seeing completely different things. That is the case. Is there, there are geographical differences as well as cultural differences. And that's one of the... The things that makes TikTok really interesting is that your feed will look different to my feed simply because of what you consume. Likewise, all of our listeners' feeds will be completely different as well, which makes it really tricky to pin down. Mm. And let's talk about that. Even though things look different on TikTok, what is actually happening is, as we hinted at before, other giant tech platforms who do video are now trying to replicate what uh, what TikTok do with this immersive vertical video that you scroll through that it wants you to sit on for minutes and even hours at a time. So Instagram Reels is the obvious one. Now, correct my timeline on this. I sort of remember seeing video on Instagram before I become re- remember being aware of TikTok. But it's definitely really drilled down on video since TikTok became so popular. Am I sort of getting that right the actual reels product was something that was kind of coincidental with tiktok's rise and it's you know i say coincidental it's not actually a coincidence we know from reporting by the likes of the verge from leaked um, audio recordings of mark zuckerberg's meetings with then facebook employees that facebook has been searching for a tiktok killer for years they've had previous attempts at this that they've operated in different markets including south america and asia which didn't really come to much and so they kind of bet the house i suppose on instagram reels once tiktok became really huge as you say to potentially the detriment of public opinion about the app because it seems like everybody is just furious about what their instagram profile has become yes and added into this mix now 
is YouTube Shorts, which for some creators is is wildly successful. Um, particularly as I understand it, if you make sure your video, it, you know, is native, you can use the same video on across the platforms, but make the video native to something like YouTube Shorts. Now, when I first heard about YouTube Shorts, I was deeply, deeply cynical. I was like, no, I go to YouTube for long form video. I, you know, there's the creators I like on YouTube for the longer form videos, even if that's four or five minutes, not 90 seconds to three minutes, that that's fine. And that's what YouTube's for. And I want it in high quality. I want it full screen in the way you were discussing earlier. But, you know, knowing YouTube as you do, you've written a book about YouTube. Uh, you wrote that in the pre-shorts era, but it's, it's you know, give is this something you could sort of foresee YouTube doing? Do you understand how it fits into the portfolio of YouTube products? Um, truthfully, I didn't foresee it in large part because YouTube was so dominant when I was I was writing the book. And therefore, it's obvious that it would be really, really key for them to actually use that. But what I think is really interesting, I've seen a an external pitch deck that you know YouTube uh, shows to partners about shorts is that they highlight actually that this has kind of been in YouTube's DNA from the beginning. So they they pointed out that their very first upload, which was Jawad Karim at um, the local zoo, yes, for me at the zoo in front of a load of elephants. They point out that was actually 18 seconds long, which ironically, when you look at kind of the mm. length of video that we're consuming now, is something similar. So uh, you know. <sighs> It's obvious that they're trying to do this to head off um, TikTok. You know, they they point out that this is kind of the way that it's gone. We had our attention spans hugely expanded and then suddenly we're contracting more. So makes sense. But I, I, I think they're kind of shoehorning that narrative a little bit of this was always what we did on YouTube. when it's not really because, yeah, we watched a lot of YouTube on TV in recent years. Absolutely. It's become, I, and particularly if you ask kind of, dare I say it, those people that are younger than us, Chris. Um, for them, YouTube is the TV. Whether I mean, the truth is, I don't think people, you know, in their teens and whatever, particularly care what device they're watching a YouTube video on, on the big 4K TV in the house or the smartphone. But it's interchangeable with something like a street, another streaming service, in Netflix or whatever, isn't it? It's it's one of those. And particularly because it's, you know, some people will pay for the premium product, but a lot of people have mm. it for free. They see it as the alternative at a time when, you know, streaming fatigue is kind of hitting us all and we you know, we don't want to fork out for so many different products. It, it's a cheap, easy, free way to essentially get the world knowledge. It's, you know, it's not for nothing that YouTube is kind of the world's second most visited website because it is essentially a huge search engine of information yeah, it- that we like. Yeah, the, the world's biggest search engine is Google. The second one is the video platform of their own. Um, and how do you, do you think they'll double down on shorts? Do you think this is a product that's here to stay? Or is it going to be a bit more Facebook pivot to video where we see six, 12, 18 months, they've kind of got a bit fed up with it? So in, in the recent Q2 results, um, which came out just about a week before uh, we were recording this, you know, they were talking up the success of YouTube Shorts a lot, and they were kind of saying that this is you know, the way that we're going to be going in the future. And I, I, you know, I, I tend not to think that that's necessarily marketing bluster. I think that's probably they foresee this as a potential route to success. And um, I mean, part of the issue that a lot of these TikTok-like 
um, you know, clones have is that they don't necessarily have the secret source behind TikTok in terms of the algorithm and things like that. But if YouTube is saying that it's succeeding for them, they're not shy about cutting things that don't work. So I, I, I would believe that it probably is. Okay, you mentioned the algorithm. Let's get into that because it, it does seem to be, as you say, the secret source uh, that m- differentiates TikTok from other things. Now, I personally think part of it is because when we first loaded Instagram, we saw pictures of our friends, and that's not what we expected when we first loaded up TikTok. But there is clearly something, yeah, that there that you know gets the thing on the for you page that you're probably going to be interested in and if it realizes you're not interested in it it's going to find you know if you're not interested in something the tiktok finds out pretty quickly you're not interested in it and doesn't keep serving you that um when you were researching your book tiktok boom did you kind of get anywhere in understanding what goes into that algorithm what actually makes tiktok sort of for want of a better phrase so addictive Yes and no. Okay. Um, and as with to be honest, these, that seems to be the answer most journalists who go into this give. Yeah, as with all of all of these things, um, the people who are outside of TikTok say that they've got it cracked and they know what's working. And there are lots of kind of people who who sell their their knowledge supposedly of reverse engineering the algorithm to how it actually works in order to benefit other video creators and. You can believe or not to what extent they they actually know stuff, but they tend to say that it's you know the engagement, it's the replay rate, it's the amount that you share it, it's the comments, it's the likes, things which seem pretty self-evident to mm-hmm. us all. TikTok themselves, and this might partly be PR bluster or them trying to kind of downplay this stuff, or it might be the God's honest truth. But you know, I, I spoke in the book to um someone who was in charge of kind of editorial content at TikTok who who was meant to kind of have this bird's eye view of what works. And I, I did say, like, you know, how does the algorithm work? And she said, I don't know. And she said, I don't even think our engineers necessarily know about this. But it, you know, it, I think that that might be downplaying TikTok's expertise. I mean, we, we know that it, it serves you things on a content graph, which is based on what you consume rather than what your friends are doing. And which is the, the complete polar opposite of what Facebook originally did, because it the whole thing was connecting you with people that you know. Yeah, and that's the big shift. Of, and that's actually also why people have been quite so vehement in their opposition to right. how Instagram is changing, right? Because they they saw Instagram as kind of maybe one of the last vestiges of this old era of social media that they loved of people-led stuff. And now you just get flown content at you, like you're, flown, you're throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks. And eventually something does and they narrow it down. But it's very, very impersonal in comparison to perhaps the relationships that we built up with previous content creators. And we can't, when we're talking about TikTok and just how quickly it has risen to such dominance, we can't really get away from the politics of it. You and I are having this conversation just a couple of days after uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi flew to Taiwan. And, you know, that caused huge, a huge backlash from China. Um, and, you know, we've seen what here in the UK at some of the uh, interviews and hustings about for the for the candidates to be the next prime minister and the leader of the conservative party here tiktok has come up in tv debates where 
people are, you know, when they're asking, what are you going to do about China, to paraphrase, TikTok is one of the things there. This company is not just another social media company. This It has, to my perception anyway, a greater global and geopolitical significance. And you found this in a recent story you did for Gizmodo, uh, where you got leaks and documents. You can tell me how you got those off air. Um, and in those documents, you saw PRs at TikTok were told to downplay the China Association, I believe is the quote. I think it's interesting because TikTok has managed to find itself um, holding the parcel while the music stops, essentially. They're, they're, they're in real trouble because there is a groundswell of opinion that we now dislike tech and we've identified the issue as TikTok and we're kind of connecting China and all the geopolitics that goes with that up in um, our malcontent about basically how big tech operates. And and it is notable that, you know, as I said, as you said in the the lead up to this question, that you know, TikTok PR does say to downplay the China connection. It says to downplay the link to the parent company ByteDance. It says to downplay any mention of artificial intelligence. And I think that's because well, for a number of different reasons. Number one is, you know, we have a broader kind of shift in in global geopolitical power where China is starting to displace Western countries. And you know, we see that most recently um, with Nancy Pelosi's journey to Taiwan and the kind of huge impact that that's had. But then also, um, you know, it was made an opponent by Donald Trump, who was trying to promote an America first thing. And we, we can't forget that, yeah. you know, for the best part of 2020, it wasn't Joe Biden that was Donald Trump's political opponent on the campaign trail. It was actually TikTok. And that bleeds through, I think, to public perception as to whether that's actually an issue. Well, you know, nobody has yet managed to find really significant evidence that there are huge things to be worried about here, although everybody does keep trying. And, um, you know, we might well find that in the future. I can't guarantee that we won't. But... Mm. I think that we've we've diagnosed a problem, which is that big tech takes a lot of our data and it smushes it all together and then it uses it in ways that may be slightly questionable. We've kind of pinpointed the problem, the cause of that as TikTok, when actually maybe it's something broader that we need to consider about all big tech companies. Do, do you think that's right? I mean, I'm not sure actually I totally agree with you there. I think there was a bit of a backlash on the data thing with, fe- sorry, a big backlash on the data thing with Facebook and, uh, you know, this is a whole separate show which we could have and a whole different conversation, but I think Facebook handled those multiple incidents around data very, very, very badly. Um, And, you know, the the DTNS team have covered those extensively. But I think TikTok, there is an extra element to it. For those of the... most users do not care who the parent company of TikTok are. They just like the creators they follow. They like making the fun videos. That's enough. But for the people that care about the bigger picture stuff, I think there is a difference between, uh, bluntly, an American-owned company and uh, a f- popular app that has a Chinese firm as its parents company, parent company with what we know that means for you know connections to the chinese government and so on and so forth you know china has huge human right issues it has huge issues around um you know using its own citizens data in a way that enables them to maintain a stranglehold on power 
TikTok, for its part, says that you know it's never been asked by the Chinese government to hand over data. It never would, even if it was. You know, people may make their own conclusions about that as to whether or not they would even admit that, whether it was true or not. You know, the thing that I keep coming back to is the the kind of the separation between the two countries is not necessarily as distinct as I would like it to be as a Westerner. So, for instance, you know, the prism um, whole issue around that, that Edward Snowden flagged up of this idea of mass wiretapping and then feeding into, you know, collating all this data around people, including basically backdoors into big tech companies' platforms. I, I find that, you know, I think, I think we have to be careful um to to not forget that we are sometimes complicit in this in our own way and mm-hmm. um while i wouldn't want it to happen at all um uh, i wouldn't want i wouldn't want china to have hold of my data i hope to god that they don't um but i also wouldn't want necessarily the us government to be pouring through all my emails and everything that i look at and evidence does show that maybe they have in the past is there an existential threat do you think that some a government in a major western power could go uh uh-uh, uh not anymore yes there is that concern because we've already seen it not necessarily in a major western country but we've seen it in you know, one of the world superpowers in india you know tiktok does not exist in india anymore because they banned it back in sort of one of the recent summers that we saw because of exactly those national security risks which whether or not you believe that was actually the case or if it was kind of geopolitics being dressed up as a valid reason to do that uh, is kind of you know your mileage may vary on that sort of thing but um but the consequence is still in a major democracy a major country in the world there's no tiktok yeah that's the end result yeah and you know we, we came close to that in um, you know, in the middle of 2020 with, with Donald Trump's kind of single-handed attempt to do that. Um, you know, we, we don't yet know fully what the Biden administration is planning to do. Um, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the election and, you know, Biden starting his presidency, I thought that actually TikTok was potentially in more danger than it was under Trump because under Trump, the to excuse the pun, the kind of the charges were trumped up. They they weren't necessarily correct, but you know, you could find it very easily dismissible in, in a court of law. With Biden, you kind of assume that things will be done a bit more by the book. There'll be less kind of extortiony elements around that. And therefore if they do find something, then they will be probably on harder ground to actually enact any sort of punishment that they wanted to were there to be something that was at risk there mm. and judging from your reporting this is genuinely something that people within tiktok are worried about and thinking about quite a lot yeah they, they go to huge pains to try and distance themselves from that china connection because i think they're conscious of just how toxic it is i mean the, the perfect example that i always point out is um TikTok will very, very readily admit to the fact that its parent company, ByteDance, is based in the Cayman Islands, which is a tax haven, like a very, very well-known tax haven. Um, They're happy to admit, essentially, that they're they're based in a tax haven more than they're happy to admit that they're based in China. And really, we know 
I think I did some stats in the book that like if the the number of employees that actually work for ByteDance ended up living in the Cayman Islands, it would be, you know, it would it would improve their population by like a factor of five or, more or something like that. <laughs> wow. Like you know, it's completely unrealistic. Yet they say, hey, look, we're connected to this this country that is generally known for kind of dodging taxes rather than this country where we're actually based. Well, I mean, all this element to it is fascinating. But let, let's go back to the fun side of TikTok and the fun side of video creation. Um, obviously, this plethora of platforms means there's lots of people wanting to get in and create stuff and do stuff. How are people actually, are people actually making real money? And how many people are, you know, with YouTube, there was a very clear path to making money, wasn't there? You get a large number of subscribers, you turn on AdSense, you keep building that large number of subscribers and showing them ads. TikTok, Instagram, even, you know, Facebook, which we haven't even talked about, it's multiple pivots to and from video. Um, it's a very different game, isn't it? What's interesting is that the the way in which creators make their money is different on TikTok than YouTube in particular. So the way generally that people make their money through that is um, they become a certain size, they get a certain number of followers, and then they are admitted to what's called the creator fund, which allows them to directly monetize their videos rather than the adverts, which is kind of how you know YouTube works and that you get your AdSense revenue, which is your your forty five or fifty five percent share of any adverts served against your content. Here, TikTok's actually directly monetizing your content and giving you essentially free cash in exchange for views. Now, the the amount that you get for that is pennies in fractions of a penny. It's you know, it's not really, from my conversations, even with quite big creators, it's not really making anybody particularly rich. But then obviously you have the kind of you know the um, the third party routes of making money that have propped up um you know the creator sector for years now which is you know uh, sponsored content uh, your branded content tiktok does try to do that also with its creator marketplace where it connects companies and creators together in a way that they can hopefully uh make good content and make good money together but yeah it's, it's difficult to get a handle on you know, youtube there was some academic research that i reported on in the past that suggested that 96.5 percent of creators don't make enough to break through the u.s poverty line and the the kind of distribution of wealth on youtube was hugely hugely unequal and i don't think there's anything necessarily different about what tiktok does that would suggest that it's it's any more democratic in how it kind of hands out its money i suppose what a lot of these creators have learned is that you can't just really commit everything to one platform and be at the whim of one platform you have to be have to be across a lot of these spaces don't you i see lots of tiktokers kind of pushing people towards their YouTube channel and vice versa and their Instagrams and all that kind of thing. So I guess they just need to cash in, as it were, across all these platforms. Well, I mean, this has been a fascinating conversation. We we could keep going pages. So I always enjoy discussing these things with you. If people want to keep up with your reporting, Chris, where where can they find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Stokel, which is S-T-O-K-E-L. Um, your books are YouTubers and TikTok Boom, so you can check those out as well. Um, I've enjoyed them. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for this and being part of DTNS Experiment Week. If you want more from me after hearing this conversation, you can head over to the edition 
uh, on Substack. So that's the and addition with a double d dot substack dot com. And the podcast is of the same name. You can get it wherever you listen to this show. Um, so thank you very much for having me, DTNS. Thank you again, Chris, for joining me. And hopefully I'll see you all soon.